name. Amen? Uh, John 16, starting in verse 27 all the way to 33, I encourage you to read that. I just want to read to you, though, verse 33. This is Jesus talking to his boys, and he says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So that word tribulation there, if you look it up in the Greek, it means this. It means pressure, opposition, stress, adversity, affliction, squeezing, squashing. You know, again, for most of us, this just sounds like a normal work week. Does it not? And he, uh, again, please read it all in context. And for the sake of time, I'm just reading verse 33. But, but he even tells them in the verses earlier, he says, look, I'm not praying that God would take you out of the world. And I'm not praying that he would remove you from the tribulation. But I just want you to know that while you're going through it, I've made a way for you to be joyful, to have peace, and actually triumph in the tribulation, not be swallowed by it. Amen? You know that song? that we were singing, uh, not the last one, which is a great song, because he will never let us down. Amen. But it was the one before that. Why, why is that escaping? It is well. Uh, look up that song, because that was actually written by a man who uh, had, had uh, been on a ship, had crossed over. I believe it was to Israel. His wife and daughter were supposed to be joining him uh, on a different ship, crossing over, and their ship sank, and they both died. And he asked to be taken back to the very location, and at that spot, that song was birthed out of a moment of remembering his wife and daughter dying in that very spot, that it is well with my soul. It's well. Listen, the reality is, is we will go through stuff in life, and some of it is not pretty, some of it is not pleasant, and some of it we would wish to never repeat ever again. But, thank God Jesus says, in me, you can have peace. Through me, you can have joy. Listen, you don't have to be swallowed by the waves. You can walk on them if you choose to. Amen? So the reality is, We're going to go through things, and Jesus even said, I'm not praying that you be taken out of it. What I'm praying is that you would be an example and a light as you go through it. Amen? Amen? So in in this sermon series we're doing, it is called Dream Killers. And this is how we define a dream killer, is something that happens in life. It's not expected. It's not planned for. It just happens. But its sole purpose is to try to convince you that because this is happening in your life, this is now your new norm. I wake up one morning and I got pain in my hip and I'm trying to walk through. This dream killer wants to convince you this is your new norm. We go through life and then something happens in our marriage and and we're doing this with our spouse and, and that dream killer wants to convince us this is your new norm. Just start adjusting yourself to live life around it. That's what a dream killer does. No one wakes up one day and says, man, I I really hope that they can find cancer in my body. But you know what? There are times where that does happen. No one wakes up and says, you know what? I'd like to go through a divorce. But sometimes those things happen. 
And that dream killer wants to come in and convince you this is now what your life's going to look like from here on out. Because if we're believing God and we're trusting God and we're standing in faith, that dream killer wants to convince us, stop believing for that and start just bringing down your expectation. Amen? How many of you can agree with me that Jesus was very intentional when he spoke into people's lives? Can we agree with that? When the scripture says he went from town to town and place to place, village to village, I don't think he was just making up random stuff and just having random discussions with people. I believe he was very intentionally speaking into their life and into their moment. Can, can we agree with that? Now, inside of that, I also believe this. I believe over the past few weeks, Jesus has been speaking directly into our lives. And what you have to understand is I am believing God. When, when I'm putting these messages together, I'm saying, Father, you know who's coming. I don't. What do they need to hear? You know who's going to be there. You know what's going on in their lives to a degree that I, I don't. What do they need to hear? And I want you to know that Jesus is also speaking into our lives, not just from where we've been, but so that any future adversity, pressure, stress, squeeze, squash that shows up in our lives, we can handle it a little bit better than we did before. Jesus isn't after perfection, but he is after progress. Amen? He is after progress. So last week, we started talking about the dream killer of unfulfilled expectation. How many of you were here last week? Did, did that message resonate with your heart at all? Because I'm telling you, even putting the message together, it was, God was wrecking me on some things. And, and here's, here's, let's explain it because we're going to talk through it. I really did want to move on to a different one. And God said, no, we're going we're gonna to climb that mountain again, but we're going to climb it from a different side. So unfulfilled, unmet expectation is this. I, I'm expecting this. And I used this example last week. I'm going to use it again with our spouse. I'm expecting this from our spouse. I'm expecting this, but they're only delivering this. What do I do with the gap that is caused in that unfulfilled, unmet expectation? Because I'm expecting this but they're only giving me this. What do I do? Because listen, how you handle the gap will determine your next destination. Man, this is so important for you to understand. When we were over in Europe, they've got signs posted all over in their subways that say, mind the gap. Mind the gap. Why? Because there's a gap there in the subway that they want to make sure you don't step into because it will drastically alter your ability to get to your next destination. Can we agree with that? Drastically. You'll head to a totally different destination, as a matter of fact. But listen, it's the same thing in our lives. How you handle this gap of unfulfilled, unmet expectation will totally alter your next destination as well. And here's what I find. I find that most Christians, instead of dealing with the gap, just want to live in the middle of it. 
and they begin to try to formulate life again. It, it was the example I used before. Because the very first dream killer we talked about at the beginning of the month was sickness and disease in our life. And if you've ever went through a major sickness or a major disease, it's all consuming. It dictates your schedule and, and this doctor's appointment and this. And, and I, I got to manage what pills I'm taking when. And, and I got to manage pain. And, and here's what I find a lot of people do. Man, I got this pain that won't go away in my hip. So I just learn how to navigate through life with a limp. Man, we have way too many Christians that are just learning how to limp rather than dealing with the cause of what's causing me to limp. Come on, are you with me this morning? So again, unfulfilled, unmet expectation. As a result of this unfulfilled, unmet expectation, and again, it, it can be with your work. Again, I was expecting this, but you know what? It, it's only given me this. What do I do with that gap? Because there's a major disappointment factor there. I'm expecting this. I'm not getting it. And now there's this much disappointment. You can have it with any area and walk of life. You can have it with your church. You know what? When I came, I expected this, but I only got this. What do I do with that gap of unfulfilled, unmet expectation? And where I really feel like God wants us to journey today is, again, not so much looking externally at these different things that can cause an unmet, unfulfilled expectation in my life, but really to look inward and direct it solely to ourselves personally. And so I want to talk through this because... An unfulfilled, unmet expectation will, will want to cause us to take matters into our own hands. So I've got this expectation that is not being met. And so what, what it makes me want to do is, you know what? I, man, this ain't happening for me. So guess what? I'll just make something happen then in return. Our unfilled, unmet expectation drives us to kick doors down rather than waiting for God to open a door. It will want to cause us to do it on my time, in my effort, in my ability, the way I want it, the way I expect it to be. So here's what we do, and, and this is shameful, but this happens in the Christian world all the time. It's not that I stop trusting and believing God but I want to make sure I've got some options. So, you know, if God doesn't come through in the way I want, well, then I just kind of slide over into the next lane and I just kind of take matters into my own hand. That way I look the part even though my heart has turned. We do it all the time. Because, you know what, I expected it to happen 10 minutes ago and it didn't, so I'm going to go ahead and do it myself. And I expected God to do this, and he didn't. So, you know what, I'll just kick a different door open. And this happens to people all the time. I want us to talk through an unmet, unfulfilled expectation as it pertains to us personally. Because here's what happens. And again, let's point the finger just solely inward. Man, I thought I was going to be here. I thought at this point in my life, this would be 
what was going on and this would be what was happening and this would be what God would be doing and this is what would happen in my marriage and this is what would happen in my family and I, and, and I should be at this financial market and then all of a sudden we realize this is what I thought and where I thought I was going to be but this is today and, and this is the reality and so here's what happens. I get really, really frustrated with me. And what happens is, is I really start to dislike me because of where I'm at. And I really start to be unhappy with me because I thought, I thought, I thought, but here's where it is. Just out of curiosity, and, and if you wouldn't mind, raise your hand. How many of you thought you might be at a little different place at this point in your life than maybe what you are right now. Any takers on that? Now, just look around real quick. Whoa, whoa, keep your hands up. I mean, this is like 85% of the people in the room. What do I do with the unmet, unfulfilled expectation? Because here's what happens. It starts to resonate my dislike with me and where I am and what's going on. It starts to bleed and ooze out into everywhere. It kind of, my discontent in here ekes out into my marriage. My discontentment here oozes out to my coworkers. My discontentment in here with an unfilled, unmet expectation bleeds out into where I serve in the church. And, and it starts to leak out of every part of who I am. And what God wants us to do is put down the magnifying glass that now is looking everywhere else and pick up a mirror. Here, here's why. Man, when I have an internal, unfulfilled, unmet expectation, what happens is, is I project that onto other people. And I project my issues onto them. And what I end up doing is I try to fix me on the platform of their life. Listen, I'm about to help some people's marriages in here like never before. If you project that on your spouse, there is no way they can meet your expectation because you're actually trying to fix you projected on them. This is why I'm saying, so what happens is when, when I've got unmet, unfulfilled expectation in me, and this isn't about other people, but that's where it projects. And what happens is, is then things begin to magnify, which is why I chose the analogy that I did of a magnifying glass. And I will, as the scripture says, try to find the speck in your eye when there's actually a log in my own. And it's time to put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror. Amen? So that we can look right in here. Because most of the time, my projections have everything to do with the fact that I really just don't like me right now. And I'm really not happy with me right now. And because I'm not, I project it everywhere else. Amen? Are you guys with me? Is this speaking to anybody whatsoever? This gap, again, it will cause me to try to take things into my own ability. And if I can't fix it, I'll just move. 
And if they're not giving me what I want, I'll just go somewhere else. And if this job isn't doing it for me, well, I'll just quit and start somewhere else. And we're, we're always trying to hop to appease a gap in me. And so I'll just switch churches. Well, I just won't serve anymore. That, that cracks me up about Christianity is the first place we want to make cuts because there's tribulation in my life. There's pressure. There's a squeeze. There's stress. There's adversity is the first place we want to make cuts is in the house of God. I'm going to stop serving that. that. That's another layer of stress. Here's a good idea. Cut out everything. Uh, cut God out and leave all the rest. That, that's a really, really smart plan. But we do that stuff all the time. Well, man, I got this squeeze going on. And pastor, man, it's been tough. And financially, this has been going on. So that's why I haven't been in church. Good call. Cut out the very one that is the author and finisher of your faith. Cut out the very one that is the source that will give abundantly above and beyond what you could ask or think. Don't cut God out. What you need, especially when the squeeze is on and when the pressure's on, you need community. You need to lean in. You need to serve more because I need to be around people that will help me not just adjust to this, but still aim higher and not abandon my expectation, but actually rise to meet it rather than just trying to live life down here. Listen, God never comes down to you, he always asks you to come up to him. Where we get in the most trouble is when we try to dumb God down to meet us where we're at, rather than us rising up to meet him. But listen, when I'm not happy with me and I don't like me, I become a prime target to become offended. It's the number one fruit that will begin to hang off of your tree will be offense. Man, I really thought here, but I'm only getting here. And this is where, have you ever heard that saying that there's a fine line between love and hate? Can I tell you, I, I know it's not, but I think it should be like in one of the Proverbs. Because here's what happens. Man, I, I've seen this so many times in spouses. And, and you you want to know why that's such a good analogy. And I, I know I use marriage a lot. But the Bible says a marriage relationship is an example of Christ in the church. In the same way that it parallels, please keep that in, in your mind, Man, the Bible uses our marriages to parallel his relationship with the church. But man, I've seen this time and time again where you have this couple that sincerely did love each other. I mean, committed, loved, and something happens. And it goes from there to sincere, passionate hatred for one another. And I sit there in my mind and think, how can that switch happen like that. I know at one point they really did love one another. But now it's, it's flipped to a hatred. Can I tell you why? Because when there is unfulfilled, unmet expectation, 
you are the prime candidate to become offended. Can I tell you guys this? I wish we would treat being offended like some incurable, uh, highly catchable, what, what am I trying to say? Contagious, highly contagious disease. Like, oh my gosh, you, you got the offended disease. Like, stay away from me. I don't want to catch that. Listen, I wish we would treat it like that. But instead, you know what we do? Here, use my ear as a trash can. Tell me about how offended you are with so-and-so, please. We should treat it like it's some contagious, nasty disease because it is a cancer of your soul. An absolute cancer in your soul. And I wish we would treat it like the most uncurable, nasty, contagious disease that it is. Here's the reality. When you become offended with somebody else, most of the time, they don't even know. I, this is my favorite analogy, is being offended is like taking a cap full of Drano and putting it, putting it in a glass of water and drinking it. It's probably not going to kill you. It's just going to eat you up from the inside out. And again, well, how can I just dilute it enough that I can keep swallowing it and move on? How do I just live in the gap rather than dealing with the cause? I am telling you, being offended... Well, let me put it this way. Can we all agree that we have a very real enemy that hates God, hates Christ, and hates the church? And listen, his agenda is very plain and simple. Uh, John 10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. His agenda is destruction to the nth degree, even unto death, if he can get away with it. That's his agenda. But can I tell you this? His strategy to accomplish that is division. And you can, you can take a peek at that if you so desire in Matthew 12. He talks about how a house, a house divided cannot stand. And so his strategy to cause destruction is division. But can I tell you one of his tactics? One of the tactical things inside of his strategy? Cause you to be offended. Because he knows if I can cause you to be offended, division will happen all by itself. How much do you want to connect with somebody when you're truly offended with them? <laughs> How much do you want to talk to them, you know, hang out? Hey, let's, let's go do dinner. Division happens all by itself. Because I can't stand you and I don't want anything to do with you. I just switch from love to hate. Why? Because you've offended me. I've had people, if this just happened last week, as a matter of fact, I, I swear to you, this just happened to me last week. As uh, Someone had told me, hey, uh, just so you know, uh, so-and-so is offended at you and Pastor Jessica. I'm like, I couldn't tell you. I, I couldn't tell you why. <laughs> and here's the reality. It can eat you up and the other person's oblivious. They don't even know. 
Again, that's why I'm telling you, it's a cancer to your soul because it'll eat you alive on the inside. And the other person doesn't even have any idea. And then that'll tick you off even more. Like, you're not even thinking about me, and all I'm doing is thinking about you, and you'll get worked up about that. Listen, being offended. Well, let me uh, share with you this. Matthew 5, verse 21 through 24 and this is all around the Beatitudes and, and Jesus changing the narrative to say, again, you've been doing things according to the law, and it's the law works from the outside in. But I'm here to change the narrative and to flip the script and let you know that before it happens in life, it happened in your heart. That's a good one to write down if you're taking notes. Before it happened in your life, It happened in your heart. And so he says here, starting in verse 21, Matthew 5, you've heard that it's said of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, I just want to stop there because this cracks me up. First of all, I don't know what that word means, and I intentionally didn't look it up. Because it sounds to me kind of like a curse word. <laughs> well, if you say raka to your brother. And then I kind of got on a little tangent where it kind of sounds like raka, raka, like a bird call. But he goes on to say this. Whoever says to his brother raka shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of the fires of hell. And quite frankly, I don't really like this verse because I've said a lot worse in my opinion than raka. I don't know what Rakah means, but I think I've said a lot worse. I've sure said a lot worse than you fool. But he says this. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and give. Listen, this is so important to Jesus. He says, look, stop what you're doing and go fix it. Don't let this fester because it's a cancer that'll spread. Don't let this thing become stage four. Because the reality is, whatever you're doing, leave it right there at the altar. Stop and go fix it. Don't let it continue. Mark 11, 25 and 26, and this is right after Jesus telling his boys, he, he spoke to the fig tree and he cursed it. And they're, they're walking by it a day later and they're like, Master, look at this tree. I can't believe. And he says, have the faith of God. Say to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe those things which he says. And then he follows it up with this, verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you of yours. Listen, Jesus, this is just a couple of the times. Jesus knew. He looked through the annals of yesterday, today, and forever and said, listen, I'm forewarning you. You're going to go through some issues. You're going to go through some bad stuff, some tribulation. There are going to be things in your life that you didn't plan for. There's going to be expectations that go unmet. But listen, don't allow yourself to live in that gap because one of the first things that you'll see bear fruit in your life is you'll start to become very offended. 
I'm offended with you, Pastor. Because, you know, I expected that you would have said hi. And I expected that you should have done this. And, and I'm sitting here oblivious, which most people are that you become offended with. Pastor, you don't understand what, because listen, some of the stuff I know is heinous and terrible and you wouldn't wish it on anyone. And you're right, I don't understand that part of it. But I just know this. If you don't forgive, then you give the offender the ability to keep offending you past the moment. And the abuser gets to keep on abusing you day after day after day, even after the moment has passed. When you forgive somebody, it doesn't justify what they've done. Man, I'm going to set somebody free right here. When you forgive someone, it doesn't justify what they've done. It just takes them off of your hook and puts them onto God's. But I'm telling you, if you take that bait and you grab onto a fence, it eats you up from the inside out. And this is where I'm trying to tell you, it goes full circle, because then what I try to do is I project my issues on you. And there's no way you're going to meet those expectations. And so I get ticked off because you should have done this or I should have been here or this should have happened or you should have chose me for that position. Or, and, and listen, we do it constantly. And we are in the perfect spot to become offended. Can I tell you this, guys, as, as we close? Being offended, I, I'm just going to give you a handful. Being offended will completely hinder your prayer life. It will stop financial blessing from flowing into your life. It will actually stop and halt your faith. It will separate you from uh, people in your life. It will drive you out of where God's planted you. It will completely and totally divide you from him and other people that you need in your life. Listen, it, uh, there's people that are like, Pastor, I don't understand it. I you know, I've been believing God and I've been standing in faith and I've been confessing and I've been, but the reality is you're offended and it has completely stopped your faith. And the reason nothing's happening in your life is Jesus is saying, put that at the altar, go deal with what you're offended about, come back and your faith will start working again just like that. I know this isn't the, uh, you know, again, the greatest of messages. Who wants to come in? Like, I wasn't going to advertise this one. We're going to talk about being offended. You're like, yeah, I'll see you next week, Pastor. But listen, in the same way Jesus spoke to the reality of their lives is the same way Jesus right now is speaking to the reality of ours. And I believe this. Our messages should consist more and more of real life and how Jesus would handle it than it should some existential, you know, theological conversation. I didn't see Jesus do that with anybody except the Pharisees that wanted to argue. But when he spoke to just men and women, he spoke directly into their lives. And listen, I'm telling you, this morning, Jesus is speaking directly into yours. So bow your heads for a minute. Let's, let's have a conversation.
I want you to ask yourself a question. And listen, if you lie to you, there isn't no one else left. So be real about what's going on in you. Again, the whole point of today was to pick up the mirror. But ask yourself this. Has the enemy slithered his way in? Subtly? Crafty? Sneaky? Has he been given a foothold in my life? Because I'm offended with somebody? You need to ask yourself this point blank. Am I offended with someone? And it may not just be one. Maybe multiple. And I, I we're going to talk about this next week, but here's probably the most important question you need to ask right now in prayer is am I really offended with God? I promise we're going to dig into this. But I told you this last week. Your first step is to humbly ask forgiveness. Now, if you would, look up here at me for just a second. I'm telling you right now, if there's somebody in this room, I don't care if it's your spouse, I don't care if it's a family member, I don't care if it's a church member, but listen, don't live life with the cancer of offense. Cut it out today. Cut it out of your life now. 